this morning. The title is, No One Could Stop Him. No one could stop him. From Mark chapter 5 and the first 20 verses. As we consider the context of what we are what we are in the middle of here in Mark, last week we looked at a very overwhelming, petrifying, fearful experience that the disciples went through. And the title of that was, God, Don't You Care? And we examined how realistic it is for us to experience those feelings, even if we struggle to admit that that's what we feel, or maybe we struggle to even put those things into words, that's what's going on inside of us. And as we look at today's verses, today's verses come right on the heels of this experience. Whether it was just a few hours ago or whether it was 8 to 12 hours ago is around that point. They reach the other side of the lake that they were crossing and bam, this happens, what we're looking at today. And so we saw how intense the experience of the disciples were was last week, and they're likely still reeling from that. They're still in shock over that. When Katrina and I were first married, I don't remember if it was a month or two into marriage, we had just, uh, we, at that time we lived in Wakarusa, and um, we were coming back from her parents' house, who live in Napanee, and so we would take State Road 19 North, and it was dark. I think it was about 9, 9.15. And so we were going along roughly the speed limit. I had a what I called the beater at that point. It was this old Chevy Nova car, 1986, and it was I bought it for $200, and I was very proud of it. We would drive along State Road 19, going north, lights on, everything's fine, going roughly the speed limit, and all of a sudden, we get rammed from behind by a car going much faster than us. I mean, it was like, how in the world does this happen? And so um, we were shocked. I pulled off to the side of the road, and this car that had ran me pulls up, and beside us and stops, and we look over, and it, um, and it was one of those pop-up lights, I remember, and, and his car was running a little bit rough, and um, he got out, and it became clear to us that he was drunk. And at that time, I did have a cell phone, and so uh, my wife says, you call the police. I was so shocked, I wasn't sure how he was going to behave, and and all that, I think she heard him say that, and he hopped in his vehicle, and he just took off. And um, we did call the police. They couldn't find him. It was an old sports car. He, he was, I think, flying, uh, evidently, if he hit us when we were going to the speed limit. And we never did find the guy. But the next few days afterwards, my wife and I felt violated. We felt unsafe. We had never experience where we were in a totally calm environment and out of nowhere comes a very traumatic experience. We were fine. The car actually didn't have, our car didn't have any damage. It was an old Nova. His car was messed up on the side. We could see it even in the dark. Um, but we were just totally shocked. And we, we just, it took us several days before 
we felt okay to leave our house and, and, you know, nothing. That was just an odd thing that happened. But when someone goes through an event like that, you usually spend a few days in shock. You're unsettled. Things don't feel right. You don't feel safe, even if your environment is safe and back to normal. So I want you to step into the shoes and the feelings and experience of these disciples. A few hours before, they thought they were going to die. And they went from uh, struggling for their lives in a storm that was so loud they could barely hear themselves think, let alone talk to each other, to it was calm and absolute seconds. And looking there at Jesus and feeling his power That was another overwhelming experience. And then to a few hours later, as soon as they step out of the boat, something else traumatic happens to them. And so as we're looking at this traumatic experience, there is a person that was out of control that comes at them. We're going to look at the verses here in a minute. But I want to talk about that person. It's hard for me to find parallels in our society, but I'm going to attempt to. I do think back to my time in high school, and I had a rather rough experience. And there were students that the teachers could not control. No one knew what to do with them, and they would attempt to control the students, but the students pretty much did what they wanted. And if they wanted to bully someone, the students, or the teachers didn't really know how to control them. And it was just a bad situation, and it was rough for everybody involved. And I do hear some parallels, not nearly as bad as as I talk to my wife and my children, and they talk about other students, and occasionally as I'm substitute teaching, um, we see and experience students that it's hard for anybody to control. They are just just far and above, just whatever their characteristic is. They're just hard to control and very hard to deal with, and everybody struggles with them. So let's take that concept and take it to the a town level, say a town of like Bremen of 4,000 people or so, and there is somebody that everybody in the town knows. I, I'm not aware of someone like this, not to this extent. Um, everybody in the town knows this person, and they are just out of control. They're the town crazy. Everybody can hear that person. Everybody knows about that person. It's just you just have to live with them even though they are just out of control. Nobody could stop them. And that is what we are dealing with today. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. God, as we dig into this story, and Jesus, as we have by the Holy Spirit these words of what happened here and what you did We want to learn. We want to grow. May you be glorified. And may we be instructed. Pray these things in your name. Amen. So this big concept here, we're looking at the problem of evil. I know that is just a big, huge umbrella in this world. And specifically in this situation we're looking at, there was a man that just thoroughly represented the problem of evil that you and I face in our human experience. So Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 1. They came 
to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore. That means they had tried to bind him, but they couldn't do it anymore. It just didn't work. Not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had strength to subdue him. Night and day. Night. In the middle of the night even. And day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always, always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And so we see an example of our human experience. Sometimes it just keeps on coming. Not all the time, but sometimes things just keep on hitting us. They keep on coming. This is the way it is for the disciples. It's like the waves against the boat. They just keep on lapping against the boat like they did last week. And eventually they're, they're going to be taken under because the boat's going to fill with water. They can't take it anymore. The boat can't take it anymore. So it is with us as human beings. There are circumstances that just keep on coming. They keep on coming. feels like they're going to take us under. And here again, the disciples were still in shock. They had not properly recovered. And here this crazy man comes at them. And this this man and the way he behaved, it, it's not a, he wasn't pleasant to be around. Nobody wanted to be around him. They already kind of gave us a preview here how bad it was. He lived among the tombs. I don't think I've ever heard of anybody here at Bremen spending the night night after night among the tombs there in our graveyard. But, you know, our graveyard doesn't properly represent the graveyard that this man lived on. This man lived right right on the coast. There were some caves, some caverns up on a hill, and apparently it was fairly close to the town. And as I visualize this, this man living in these tombs, and that's kind of weird enough. It might traumatize you just knowing there's a man that lives among the tombs. But then to know he's always screaming, whether it's in the middle of the night or during the day, always screaming. And I I visualize them laying in bed at night. And perhaps, depending on the night and how far away the town was, we're not exactly sure, that his screams would carry just enough to where they could lay in bed and they could hear this man screaming constantly. I remember we lived in a bad place, a bad neighborhood when I was a teenager. And especially there were, there were periods of time when we had a bad neighbor who would play just obnoxious music till late, late in the night. And you'd hear this thumping, this loud screaming occasionally with the music. And you know how maddening and angering and frustrating that is? You hear that night after night after night. But it's even a little bit worse when you hear human screams. There's just something about the sound of a human scream that grabs you to the core. Whether it makes you angry, afraid, or a combination, makes you want to go punch the guy.
This was how bad it was. If you can imagine the town having to deal with someone like that on a regular basis. So let's look at the broader problem. So we looked at the specific instance of this man and how bad he was continually bothering the residents of this town. I want to think of just in our current context, the problem of evil is constantly presenting itself. I can't call to mind something that we can all identify with as bad as this man was. But we all experience this problem of evil in sometimes a very bad form. Sit down and talk with our police chief. I've talked to him a few times and talked about some of the things they deal with. Our police chief is Brad Kyle. If you haven't met him, go to Bremen and ask to meet him. He's a nice guy, easy to talk to. But you talk to someone like Brad Kyle or some of the other men on our police force or our fire chief or some of the men who are there all the time. What about mental health counselors? I've talked to some mental health counselors and some of the things that they deal with. Child services. Talk to some people who work in homeless shelters. If you've ever been in a county court and seen some of the things and become aware of some of the things that go on through our county courts. What about our health care workers? People who work in the ER have stories. The crazy things that go through the ER. There's a time when we had to take Joel in to the ER at in the middle of the night, he wasn't yet one. And we were afraid because he was having breathing problems. And we heard a man screaming from another room. And we could see this man on a table top. And we could see occasionally his body jiving. And the uh, ER workers, I think, were familiar with this man. Um, but this the issue was a matter of drugs and what was happening in his body at that time because of the drugs. It was a crazy experience. People in the ER see the problem of evil in full high def, high definition, full color, and how ugly it is. People are plagued with the problem of evil. It is awful. But there is something that can be done about it. So the problem of evil, but then when Jesus shows up, when Jesus shows up, when Jesus shows up, the problem of evil is dealt with. And we see that here in this story. But this thought occurs to me, you might, it might occur to you. You might say, well, what about today? Jesus is not here like he was during his earthly ministry. You might say, well, what about my situation? Pay close attention, and I think you'll get some answers here. Mark chapter 5, verse 6. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. 
So here, notice the response of evil to Jesus. When this man saw Jesus possessed by a whole group of demons, he ran to Jesus. He probably was from a decent distance, maybe a few hundred yards away even, and he fell down before him, maybe on his knees. Did he fall down chest down? doesn't exactly say. He fell down before Jesus. I wonder if it was normal for this man to respond to a person this way. I don't expect that it was. The demons that were demonizing this man recognized when the Son of God showed up. The light of the world. The one who had the ability to put them in captivity. More on that in a couple minutes. But evil responds to Jesus. So, Jesus is in you. Jesus is in you. We know this, but I wonder if we underappreciate it as we deal with this problem of evil. I don't want to be too technical here. We most often think of the Holy Spirit living inside of us, and that is right. But this also includes the presence and power of Jesus showing up in us and showing through us. This is an awesome reality. And I want to look at some verses demonstrating this truth. Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 25. It's right in the middle of a sentence. If you want to go back and examine the full sentence, you can go back and look at Colossians chapter 1 in full. Paul is speaking, of which I, the Apostle Paul, became a minister, a servant, according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints, to them, God, that's us, To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. And what is this mystery? The mystery is, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Jesus in you. The presence of Jesus in us is a showcase to the unbelieving world around us. It's that Jesus is in you and that he has changed your life and that that change shows the nature of Jesus. You changing and responding to the work of God in your life shows the presence of Jesus. It shows his character, his nature, his being. But not only does this show up to the unbelieving world, I want you to get this, but this happening shows up to the spirit world as well. The spirit world can see this happening in you. Angels see it and they marvel at it. They marvel at the beauty of salvation in humankind and how it changes people but also fallen angels see it. 
You better believe that the demons see Jesus in you. And you better believe they do not like it. This here, as we're talking about Jesus in you, shining out to the world around you, this applies to humble, obedient, faithful Christians. The devil and his demons cannot possess a Christian, but the devil can get a foothold in a Christian's life and begin to ensnare a Christian and begin to diminish the showcasing of Jesus. We're going to spend some time looking at some verses about this. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and 27. And don't sin by letting anger control you. It's a little looser translation, but I like how practical it is. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. And there's an explanation here. Why? Should you not do that? For anger gives a foothold for the devil. Unresolved, sinful anger gives the devil and his demons a foothold in your life to damage you and to work through you to damage others. This idea of a foothold is like a base of operations. Now, this especially applies to sinful anger, unresolved sinful anger here. But any unresolved sin gives the devil a foothold in your life. Yes, you're going to struggle with sin. But if you're not fighting it and seeking God's power and God's help, then you are leaving that sin unresolved. And you're giving the devil and his demons a base of operations in your life. And this is why, according to Colossians 3.5, we are to murder sin in our lives. We are to, to kill it. We are to put every effort to deal with sin and God's power in our lives. Next, Second Timothy. I left out the chapter. It's chapter 2, verse 24 through 26. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, must... And, but must be kind to everyone. Be able to teach and be patient with difficult people. The primary application here is to those who are called to pastoral ministry. The broader principle applies to everyone, but the focus here is people who are doing pastoral ministry. But what follows here is what we want to key in on, which teaches us something. Gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Perhaps God will change those people's hearts and they will learn the truth. But what has happened to these people's hearts? Then they will come to their senses and escape from the devil's trap. For they have been held captive by him to do whatever he wants. Now clearly this applies to non-Christians, but it also applies to Christians as well. There are Christians who fall into the snare of the devil. And the devil and his demons get a base of operations in their lives. And then they have the devil and his demons have sway over you to steer you in the direction they want to accomplish their objectives. This is not possession, but this is influence here. I think of a computer virus. 
very often a computer virus attaches itself to something that is very legitimate. And that's how it finds its way into the computer. And then from there, it uses the legitimate role of something else to attack the rest of the computer. The devil is a master at trying to make things look innocent and then is an entry door into things that destroy our lives and hurt other people and diminishes the power of Jesus in and through us. So again, this here is we're talking about Jesus in us shining out this applies to obedient, humble, faithful Christians. This does not mean you're a Christian who hardly ever sins. That Christian doesn't exist. (laughs) But it applies to a Christian who is obedient, has a pattern of obedience and humility and faithfulness to deal with sin and to be honest with themselves and people around them. Part of my desire for our church, as you've heard me say many times, part of my desire for our church is that we can be real with each other. That we can be honest with each other. Many of us don't even realize that we don't let our guard down at church. We put up a wall between others around us and what's truly true about us. And that's very isolating. And it's very weakening for God's people. We sin weekly and daily. But we must be in hot pursuit of obedience and conquering sin. This is the posture of an obedient Christian. It's the way the Christian leans, their whole life leans towards fighting sin and walking in God's power. That's how an obedient, humble Christian and a faithful Christian lives. And when we are doing this, this is when Jesus shines out from us. It's not about perfection or hardly ever sinning. It's about this posture of fighting sin and God's power and walking in the Spirit daily. Then at that point, Jesus shines forth. If we are too busy with other things in our lives to have this posture we lose the shine of Jesus. If we are protecting sin instead of pursuing sin to kill it, we have lost this shine. If our love of God has waned and our heart has attached itself to other things that have become more important to us, we lose the shine of Jesus. And if we are not honest and try to hide our weaknesses and our sin and try to act as if we're okay when we're not with our brothers and sisters in the church, we also will lose our shine. So the problem of evil, when Jesus shows up and then confronting evil. Mark chapter 5, starting verse 6. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him and crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not 
torment me. For he was saying to him, that's Jesus was saying to this man, come out of this man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. So a quick explanation here. Mark is in the middle of an of the action of the moment. It's action-packed, and, and he pauses right in the middle of this action to say something. And he says, For Jesus was saying to this man, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. So many of us, when we're telling a story, stop like this and add a quick, relevant detail. But we don't want to stop too long because we want to get back to our main point. And that's what Mark is doing here. So this is an action-packed moment. This man is coming at them. They're already jarred because of what happened on the sea a few hours before. And many of us in these moments were caught off guard, were off balance, and we struggle to respond and know what to do. And here again, Jesus shows perfect poise and balance in an upsetting, alarming situation. He is our example of what we strive to be like. Life will hit us with the unexpected, and we will be flat-footed. But as we grow in the Lord, as we walk in the Spirit, and we have the filling of the Spirit day by day, hour by hour, we have the ability to be on our toes. Christian who is on their toes is the Christian that stays close to their God through the prayer and through word, through the word. So, talking about confronting evil, how should we confront evil? It's a big question. I'm not going to be able to sufficiently cover it today, but I want to give just a couple thoughts. We need to look at how the scripture emphasizes we are to conduct our Christian lives in the context of evil. And that's our starting point. And I want to bring out a scriptural emphasis that is not offensive. I'm not saying there aren't times of offense, but my focus and my emphasis this morning, I believe, is a good scriptural emphasis and should be our starting point, is not offensive. I've been talking a lot about this lately because it's been on my mind for months and months now. Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10. It says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. I have this word stand underlined because it occurs several more times in this passage. So part of dealing with evil, part of confronting evil is knowing how to stand. This is one of the principal passages of how to conduct our lives in the midst of the evil spirit world. One of the principal passages in the New Testament. And its focus is not on aggression, but on standing. Verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, 
and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Pray that I may be able... I I have a problem with my slide there, so we'll just ignore... We'll stop right there because I want to emphasize this verse at this point. A lot of people, because of Romans chapter 10, look at this here when it says, your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace as an aggressive move, as a move of going and giving the gospel. Romans chapter 10 quotes from Isaiah, and that is what's happening in Romans chapter 10 in Isaiah, but that is not what is happening here. This is a passage of not of offense, but of defense and standing our ground, being prepared for the spiritual fight. And so there is a preparation that comes from the gospel, a readiness to engage in what hits us and to handle it appropriately that comes from the gospel. You may not have heard that before. Maybe you have. I encourage you to study it out. Many, many Bible expositors will point this out, that this is not an offensive passage. This is a defensive passage, standing our ground appropriately. And one of the ways we can do that is what comes from the gospel of peace. There's an, an, we're equipped, we're able to, to move about the way we should because what the gospel has enabled us to do. Verse 16, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. So, how should we confront evil? I think one of the strong emphasis of the New Testament is on standing against evil and not attacking it. I'm not speaking against stories we hear about Christians in other parts of the world dealing with demon possession. I'm not speaking against that at all. I just want to draw our attention to an emphasis in the New Testament here. Let's also look at 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. Is that word stand again? Standing firm in the faith. Because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. So how should we stand, or how should we confront evil? 
primary way I see the New Testament telling us to confront evil is living a life that is standing strong in the Lord. There is more to say, but this is all that I'm going to say for today, for the sake of time. The problem of evil, when Jesus shows up, confronting evil, and then considering outcomes. Considering outcomes. Mark chapter 5, verse 8. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, these demons, and this man begged Jesus, saying, send us into the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. I don't know if I've been around 2,000 running pigs before. That would have been a sight, my friends. The herdsmen fled and told it to the city and in the country, and the people came to see what it was that had happened. I'm sure they did. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had gone, had the legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him so that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. The Decapolis was a group of cities um, on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. There's a lot we could do talking with outcomes, and I'm not going to be able to cover it all this morning, but I'm going to cover a few key things. The demons did not want to be imprisoned. Evidently, there are, based on what these demons were asking Jesus not to do, there were some demons that were already imprisoned, and these demons did not want to join those other demons that were in prison. These demons, for an unknown reason to us, were free to perform their demonic activity. These demons, as they faced Jesus, were afraid of what was going to happen to them. So they asked the transfer departments. The department they were in, they were in this man. They've been trying to destroy this man. That was their mission, to destroy this man. And they were there faced with Jesus, and they did not want to be around Jesus. And so, so they wanted to get out of this man, and they wanted to go somewhere else. And so they made a request. They said, hey, just transfer departments. Let us go over there. We don't want to be here anymore because you're here, and we don't want you to put us in prison like some of the other demons are right now. As we look at the outcome of what happened to these 2,000 pigs, it is a very visual demonstration of what the demons were trying to do to this man. They were trying to destroy him. A lot of things we don't know here. 
But seemingly the demons were then free to find someone else. After the pigs went and were, were drowned in the sea, they were disembodied from the pigs again and they were free to go somewhere else to seek to torment someone else and destroy them. That's just by implication. So this raises some questions. And I want to look again at this already not yet tension that we see throughout the scriptures and we experience today. We saw at the very beginning of Mark, Jesus appeared suddenly with Mark's style and Jesus was present and Jesus was preaching. And he was powerfully showing that Satan does not have power over him and that Jesus has power over Satan. He powerfully demonstrated his power over Satan by casting out demons. So the kingdom of God was present through Jesus on earth. But Jesus, at that point, and still has not fully consummated the kingdom. That is still in the future. So Jesus at his coming inaugurated the kingdom and displayed the power and the nature and the the king of the kingdom himself flowed through Jesus. Yet, a short time after Jesus began his ministry, just a few short years, he was murdered on the cross. So some minor sense, there was a victory for evil. And that victory was turned inside out. The victory for evil was turned inside out and turned into a defeat. But let's focus on that there was still the effects of evil upon people and upon Christ at the cross. And this, so the kingdom is already here, but it is not yet fully consummated. And so in our Christian experience, we will still be faced with evil that has not been fully dealt with. Yet at the same time, because Jesus has already inaugurated the kingdom, we have Jesus in us, the Spirit in us, Jesus and the power of the Spirit is flowing through us and dealing with evil. Many people throughout this church age will still continue to suffer because of Satan and his demons. But the kingdom of God is inaugurated at Jesus' coming and it's continuing to grow. It is not weakening, it is growing. And someday Jesus will return and he will consummate the kingdom and evil will be thoroughly, completely dealt with. And there will be no more already not yet tension for the Christian experience. So as we talk about outcomes, one of the most confusing things as we're looking at what happened here was that that Jesus permitted, he didn't banish and imprison these demons. He permitted them to go over to the pigs like they wanted to, knowing that they would drive those pigs down into the sea and they, those pigs would die. Those demons would be disembodied again, searching for somebody else to do their damage. So we think about in God's wisdom, how all this works together. What we have to come back to is 
is that the kingdom has not been fully consummated. And in God's wisdom, he allows evil to do its work, yet at the same time conquering evil and progressively transforming lives. And then he was in this man who had been demon possessed. And now this man had Jesus in him. And this man went and told people about Jesus and showed more people about Jesus. The kingdom of God growing. And so we see the complicated, already not yet tension in this story of another life transformed. And going and telling others. While at the same time, evil going on and continuing to do its work. And so as we talk about outcomes, they're complicated. That is, in my opinion, one of the greatest weaknesses of folks who place their hope in realizing God's kingdom through political activism. You're never going to accomplish it that way. doesn't mean we don't seek to do right and to lead right. But political activism for the hope of realizing God's kingdom will never work. The problem of evil, when Jesus shows up confronting evil and then considering outcomes. One point of application this morning. The problem of evil is real in your life. How are you handling the problem of evil? Take a few minutes and respond to the Lord.